Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. Good morning and nice to be in the house of God. And I want to welcome everyone here and those who are seated up there on the balcony. I mean, you guys look so much closer to heaven than all of us. Anyway, I'm glad that you chose, even though there are some seats in the front. So next time you can come to the front, that'll be great. But nevertheless, thank you for coming on a Sunday. It's such a joy to be with the family and friends uh, together and we can worship the Lord. I must begin by saying a happy Canada Day to my fellow brothers and sisters. Aren't you proud to be Canadians? A land of freedom and opportunities for everyone. A land, I would say, flowing with milk and honey. A land comprising of people of many nations. You know, every time you stand to sing the national anthem, I'm certainly moved emotionally, reflecting on the blessings the Lord has bestowed upon this beautiful land. I sing with compassion and enthusiasm when we say, God, keep our land. Can we say that together? Glorious and free. O Canada, we stand on God for thee. We appreciate it most when you have migrated from a land of persecution and suppression, where you aren't sure if you would be alive the next day. You look around and see how beautifully people of all nations live in peace and harmony. And those of us who have migrated here from, 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 for freedom, don't you wish that your loved ones to be free as well? So the natural tendency is you seek every measure to provide them the opportunity to migrate as well, don't you? But church, as glorious as it may seem, the day we take our last breath, this freedom we are talking about comes to an end, for this is temporal. But there is a freedom we all have in Christ, which is Eternal. Everybody say the word eternal. Apostle Paul pens it so beautifully in his epistle. I wanted to see this passage in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 39 to 38 to 39. For I am persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, I'm thankful to the Lord for what the Lord is doing in our own church here. I just want you to look around and see how, who and who are in the sanctuary today. We see in the midst of us people representing many nations and many tribes and many tongues within these four walls. I want you to speak to the ones whom you have not spoken to before at the end of the service, introduce yourself to them. 
And I want you to find out where they come from, their background, their tongues, their culture. You will be amazed what the Lord is doing amongst us. You'll be amazed. Isn't it beautiful, church? When the world around is divided by race, caste, creed, and tongues, including the, some of the countries that we have migrated from, we are so beautifully blended as one big family in the house of God. Amen? Amen. We do see in each other, what do we see in each other? The image of God. Everybody say, image of God. In Latin, it's called the imago Dei. It's image of God. We are all created in the image of God. And this, my brothers and sisters, is a portrait of heaven. Let's look at the passage here. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, what did I see? A great multitude, which no one could number. And who are these people? Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and what are they doing? Crying out with a loud voice, saying what? Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what they're shouting. Yes, these are people of all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. What brought them together? There is one commonality that we can see. They're all crying out with a loud voice, saying what? Salvation, can we read that together? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. Church, memorize this because you're going to do it one day. Isn't it? One day we are going to say this, let's memorize it. What does that mean? They may be different in color, creed, and caste. What united them was that they are all saved people. They're all children of God. They are those who committed their lives to the Lord. They are those who claim the Lord Jesus as their Lord, personal Lord and Savior. You say, Pastor, this is so wonderful. I am so glad I'm part of it. And you start to sing, some of you, within your own self, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. My question, church, is this. What do you do about it? What are you doing about it? Look outside on the streets. Look in your neighborhood. Isn't that person on the street an image of God? Does Jesus love him? Isn't your neighbor an image of God? Isn't your brothers and sisters or mothers and fathers image of God? Isn't your co-workers, your classmates image of God? Aren't they heading to a land of eternal condemnation? What are we doing about it? Better ask, what should we be doing about it, church? You know, as I was preparing this message, I could not help but go to the book of Revelation and look at those seven letters, because I always let my imagination run wild. And I used to picture in the theater of mind as the Lord coming and talking to me as a pastor and saying, things about this church. I see that, you know, I was reflecting on the commendation the Lord gave to the church in Philadelphia. And I genuinely feel that God is speaking to us from his solution to the church in Philadelphia. So could this be said about us, church? You tell me. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. I know your work, works. 
See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have, little, you have a little strength, but have kept my word. Kept my word. Yes, that, we, that is true about ourselves, because we always stick to the word. And he says, and I have not denied my name. It is true. It is true. Neither Pastor Dio, myself, or the elders deny the name of the Lord in this place. And then you can say, when you look at the next verse number 10, because you have kept my command to preserve, now here's what the promise that the Lord gave to the church in, uh, in, in Philadelphia. He says this, I also keep you from the hour of trial. I love to claim this promise for ourselves. But in my own mind, I feel that the Lord is telling me something else. There is one thing I have against you. There is one thing I have against you. You are still a commuter church. You are not a community church. You are not making enough impact in the community. This is church, this is my personal conviction. Some of you may have different opinions. I have said this before and I'll say it again. Here's the pH test for a community church. If we cease to exist tomorrow, will this community miss us? If we shut down these doors tomorrow, and if we don't have any services here, will this community miss us? Of course not. What impact are we making in the community? My appeal is that we need to make an impact in the community of Mississauga, then we will become a true community church. Church, we need to reach out to the people of this community and we must go out of our Kumbaya group. We need to have that burden to share the good news of the gospel that transformed our lives. We need to act on it. Brothers and sisters, let's admit something this morning. Evangelism is not easy. In fact, for many of us, it is scary, it is frightening. Evangelism is one of the highest values talked big in the churches, but one of the least practiced. It's hard to do something about it. So why is, why is it so universally difficult? Some common answers include such things as, I don't know enough about the Bible, Pastor. I don't know how to talk. Oh, I fear of rejection. Oh, I'm not sure how to bring up the gospel. I was reading an article from the Gospel Coalition by, the, by, by, by someone by the name of Eric Raymond, and he, this is what he says. The effectiveness of personal evangelism depends on three areas, about my view of God, my view of others, and my view of the gospel. He says that if you get this right, you'll be well on your way evangelizing people. My view of God, I am convinced that we don't view evangelism through the lenses of worship and glory. We need to spend more time at our master's feet leaning to worship and pray like a Christian and say, hallowed be your name. When I'm not actively evangelizing, what I'm actually saying is that they do not hallow your name, but that's okay with me. That's what I'm saying. How about my view of others? 
How can we walk by the man or woman who has been beaten by the effects of sin and not open my mouth? We talk a lot about Good Samaritan, isn't it? We preach about it. But many times we don't realize we pass by just like the Levites and the priest who just walked on by. Yet we carry at our backs, we have a medicine cabinet, all gospel. But we ignore them like they are not even there. I want you to get a glimpse of the pain that Moses had for the sins of the people. See, this is what, that's what's written on Deuteronomy 9.18. And I fell down before the Lord, Moses is saying, as at the first 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water. Why? Because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Church, be honest. When was the last time we spent one day, one hour, even one minute, crying out to the Lord for my lost neighbor? So my view of the others is important. My view of the gospel is important because Paul says very clearly, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. The gospel works church because look at yourself look at the mirror how is that you are transformed all because of the work of the gospel we are christians because god attended his word with power in our lives so the gospel is powerful it actually saves people it saved a murderer and a savage like apostle paul it does save Here's Apostle, Apostle Paul ravaging the churches to strengthening the churches. God changed him completely. The gospel changed. It's powerful. We may talk a good game, but our actions speak louder than words, church. I learned in my 32 years of ministry, my counseling was always effective, please church, listen carefully, only when the people responded to the gospel. Only when the people respond to the gospel. If they do not respond, show no interest in the word, no interest in the prayer, no counseling will provide results. Nothing. Do we really care about lost people? Do we sincerely believe that knowing Christ is the best way to live or the only way to die? Brothers and sisters, listen, by its very nature and purpose, this church ought to be a contagious place that is infecting more and more outsiders with the Christian faith. There ought to be an epidemic of people trusting in Christ. Why is this not happening? Why isn't this happening? Allow me to be bold, church. And I'm saying this with much love to you and to me. It starts with me. It's not happening because we, you and I, are not committed to the cause. It's not happening because of our view of God, our view of others, and our view of the gospel. You ask, Pastor, tell me, what should I do then? What should I do then? I'm sure you are being convicted as much as I am today, this morning. Tell me, what should I do? Let's revisit the mission. We have been entrusted with by the Lord himself. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. 
in this passage, the Lord speaks to us of five ways that He empowers so that we are engaged in mission. Let's look at verse 19. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, what? Read with me. Peace be with you. We need to understand the context here so that we can grasp the message. Is the resurrection Sunday. The disciples huddled together in the room. It has been an eventful day for everyone involved. It's now evening. They are excited, yet afraid and anxious. A sense of loss. The one who was with them is no more. The door was locked because the rumor had it that the Jewish leaders wanted to arrest and dispose anyone who had been associated with Jesus. So imagine the fear that the disciples had at that time. Huddled in one room. These are men who fled in fear for their own lives when Jesus was arrested. You know what Peter did? Denied three times. They all doubted even the initial reports that they received from the field when the women came back and said that the headstone was rolled out. You know what they said? Luke 24, 11. And their words seemed, this, this is what they said, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. Boy. The very disciples who journeyed with Jesus for three and a half years, they did not believe. Suddenly, without any warning, Jesus appears in the middle of them. Verse 19 says, Peace be with you. So seeing Jesus would have shocked them. And Jesus, not rebuking them for their lack of faith, they didn't want to put them to shame. But the disciples were not expecting Jesus to say, Peace be with you. There is no rebuke. And how could you do this? That's what you and I would have asked. Jesus doesn't scold them or shame them. Can you imagine the relief that these disciples had at that time? I want this to sink in. Understand how gracious an act it was. The word fear in verse 19 carries it with the idea of flight. The disciples were so alarmed and frightened that they wanted to bolt out. Run! Now contrast this with the word peace, which means putting together that which is broken. Jesus knows they were afraid, so he says, Shalom to them, which literally means all good to you. Now church, many of us who are seated here and watching online, including myself, we have tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you have tasted that the Lord is good? Slip your hands up and tell me. Every one of you, praise God. But we are closed up in the upper room. We feel insecure to come out to witness, feeling ill-equipped. We are fear of persecution, not knowing what to do and what to say. Do you understand that Jesus wants to extend peace to you and I as well? The same peace that you gave to the, to the disciples. He doesn't gloss over your past. He is well aware of the mistakes that you have done. He knows how we have scorned him, how we have denied him, how we rejected him, when we should have been speaking up for him. Yet he is still extending that peace to you and I. 
when he sees you with all your flaws, he says, Shalom, peace be with you. To the wretched sinners like you and I. Church, I want you to understand this. This particular peace that God is talking about, Jesus is talking about, it, can, it at least has four dimensions. Some of you, you may be saying, Pastor, I have sinned against him. I am not worthy to be a sinner. So when the worthy to be a witness and, and, and when he says peace be with you he simply means in, in Romans 5, 5 1 we see therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God peace with God and some of you might say pastor I have my own issues to deal with in my life and when the Lord says peace be with you he is telling you this I have told you this thing that in me you may have peace it doesn't matter what issues that you have to deal with. You have peace. Some of you might say, Pastor, I feel so small and unworthy because of the broken relationship. Maybe with your own spouse. Maybe with your parents. Maybe with your children. And when the Lord says, peace be with you, is peace in our relationship because we, we learned in the book of Ephesians, it is the cross that brought the Gentiles and the Jews together. Through the cross, He is giving us that peace. Some of you might say, I'm guilty of all that I've done in the past, a wretched sinner. And how can I be an effective witness? Pastor, you don't know my background, where I've come from. But when he tells you peace, there is, he says a peace with the past, he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Savior offers you peace today, even if you don't feel you, you don't deserve it. So here's the question, church. Why do we still continue to shrink in the corner when the Savior wants to embrace us? He wants to give us that peace. Why do we try to lock him out of our lives? By granting peace to you and me, Jesus shows that he accepts us as just as we are. Church, we should be all the more motivated to share the good news of the gospel because of that peace. We have in Jesus. So the first thing that God gives us in this passage that we learn is he gives us peace. Second thing, look at verse number 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. What do you take from that? They were glad after they have seen the marks after they have seen the proof. So what, what we are learning from this is that Jesus is giving us proof. He knows that doubt can creep into all our lives and Jesus showed his disciples his hands and his side to convince them of the truth that he was risen bodily. And not only that, in the Lucan narrative, we see that he ate a piece of broiled fish and with some honeycomb to show that he is really alive. It's not a hallucination. You're not hallucinating here. I am here. I am resurrected. Church, why is this important for us in our evangelism? This historical fact of the resurrected Christ should be the, at the center of our witness for Christ. While it's true that Christ can heal people, he can solve all the personal problems and struggles, but that is not the message of the gospel. 
The problem, church, is that we talk to people and we say, come to Christ, your problems are solved. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and was raised again according to the scriptures. In other words, don't believe in Jesus as a magician in the hope that he will solve your problems. Believe in Jesus because you are a sinner and he is the only savior and he is risen from the dead and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. So not only we see that he gives us peace and he gives us proof, as we continue, look at verse 21. He, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, again using the word peace here, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he gives a purpose to his disciples here. Jesus again says, peace to you. Church, there's a difference between this peace and the peace that, was, that we looked at earlier. The peace in the verse 19 was given in order to quiet their hearts, to give them confidence. But the second peace that we see in this passage is to prepare them. It's a fresh statement of their purpose. And was initially given, not this church, Jesus sends us into the world in the same way the Father sent him. Did you see that in this passage? As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So we must take the initiative as Jesus went into the world and we have to go to the others. We are not to just sit back and wait for others to come to us. We ought to do what Christ did on the cross, on the earth, and we ought to follow his example. As Jesus demonstrated the validity of his message by what he did, so must we. Church, our actions must show that we are in Christ. So let me ask you, church, be honest to answer this. What really motivates you in evangelism? I can tell you what motivates me. But before I respond, let me ask you a question. You are going on the streets and you see a Zacchaeus on a sycamore tree. How would you treat him? How would you treat him? You would stand with all the others and critique like everyone else did? Or would you reach out to him like Jesus did? Let me come to your house. Let me sup with you. A heavy calling, isn't it, church? A heavy calling. When you look at Zacchaeus, what do you see? A wretched sinner who deserves nothing but eternal condemnation? Most of us are guilty of doing it. We are quick to judge people. Or do we see that person as a Bruce Reed that needs tender, loving care for restoration? Do you join with the others to confer how wicked that person is? Or you, do you reach out to him with your medicine cabinet of the gospel and dress him up with the truth of the gospel with much patience and tender loving care? You say, Pastor, I love to do this. I really want to do it next time I see a Zacchaeus, but I'm afraid to go alone. I cannot handle it by myself. I don't know how to respond to this. I get it, Pastor. I get it, church. We come up with all sorts of excuses to justify our behavior, just like Moses did when he was called. 
How many excuses did Moses give? How many? Five. I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. People won't believe me. I'm, terrible. I'm a terrible public speaker. I'm not qualified. Rings a bell? How many times you would have said it? Church, know this. The one who has called us is what? Say it again. The one who has called us is what? Faithful. Everybody say the word faithful. We are not faithful. The one who has called us is faithful. He is faithful. So he will not leave us alone. He'll never leave us alone. That's what you are seeing in verse 22. Look at this verse 22. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Because reaching out is not easy when you can feel overwhelmed when Jesus entrusts us with the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel to others, he also equips us for our job. Do you recall just before the Lord was taken up in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and, and before he was ascended to heaven, this is what he said. But you shall receive what? Power. When, when will you receive? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall do what? Be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, at this, at this moment of the greatest need, the Savior promises to place the Holy Spirit in each of us individually so that we are empowered for His work. So how does this Holy Spirit work, you may ask? Pastor, I hear that. I hear that well. But how does it work in and through me? I tell you how it works. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. Words to say. He told this very same thing to the disciples. Hear me out in Luke chapter 12. Now when they bring you to the synagogues, the Lord is saying, and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. Wow. So I'm going to Zacchaeus. I don't need to worry about what I'm going to say if I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to speak. Not only it will tell you what to say and the Holy Spirit convicts Zacchaeus. I'm using Zacchaeus as the person that you want to reach out. So bear with me. Don't look for Zacchaeus on the streets, okay? This Zacchaeus, this is the Holy Spirit that can convict him or her. Because the Bible says when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Who does the conviction? The Holy Spirit. Not only it convicts, the Holy Spirit is the one that converts the people. You are not carrying with salvation in your pocket that you can distribute every Tom, Dick and Harry. The salvation comes from the Lord. Because the Bible says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And not only that, it's the Holy Spirit that sustains us in difficult times. In John 14, we see this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send me in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. Not only that, the Holy Spirit will give us focus and substance to our prayers. You are burdened for Zacchaeus. You are coming and you don't know how to pray. The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should be praying. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
How many times, church, you are burdened for your loved one and you don't know how to pray? Isn't it? When my mother was, she, she was a lovely, godly woman, trust me. But my desire was that she needs to be obeyed in the, she needs to obey in the waters of baptism. I was so burdened out of respect, I didn't want to talk to her. But I was on my knees. There are days I say, God, I don't know how to pray. But he intercedes, he ministers. When the Holy Spirit is given room to work, he will surprise us again and again, church. We are not left alone. He provides the help we need at the time we need. You know, there's a beautiful illustration. I want to share this with you. Don't look for it in the Bible, but it's just a, just a true event. It's a beautiful true story. I just want to, it'll remind us of how the Holy Spirit would empower us. There was this mother and the, and the son was playing the piano, maybe like Johan or somebody like that. I'm not talking about Laurel here, so don't get me wrong. So the mother took the baby to Paderewski's concert. And they, and they went to the concert and the mother spotted a friend as they were seated and, and she went out to talk to the friend. And the little boy, not your hand, the little boy, he was a little, he, he wanted to explore matters, so he just got up and he started walking and he entered into a room where he says, no admittance. And when the lights dimmed and the mother had to come back to the chair, to a seat and she came and looked, the boy was missing. She didn't know where the boy was. Suddenly the curtains parted and the spotlights focused on the impressive Stainway on stage in horror. The mother saw the little boy sitting on the, key, the keyboard, innocently picking out what? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. True story. So at that moment, the great piano master made his entrance. He quickly moved to the piano and whispered in the boy's ear, Do not quit. Keep playing. Everybody came to see the great master playing. Here is this little boy. But he came and said, don't quit, keep playing. Then leaning over, the master said, reached out, reached down, sorry, the master reached down with his left hand and began filling in the bass part. Soon his right arm reached around to the other side of the child and he started playing the keys. Together, the old master and the young novice transformed a frightening situation into a wonderfully creative experience. The audience was mesmerized, and that is the way it is with the Holy Spirit Church. That's the way it is. What we can accomplish on our own is hardly noteworthy. We try our best, but the results aren't exactly graceful following music. But with the hand of the Master, our life's work truly can be beautiful. So listen, church, he gave you peace, he gave you proof, he gave you purpose, and he gave you power to play a beautiful music of salvation for those who are lost in their sins. He knows it is hard, he's whispering to you today, don't quit, my child, keep playing. For the arm of the Lord is with you. He's around you. And I want you to know that his strong hands are playing the concert of your life. And finally he concludes with verse 23. Look at that. The last words adds one final thing. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's an interesting passage of scripture. You say, hold it, pastor. How can I forgive the sins of others? Who am I? Because if you look at the, the, in the Mark chapter 2, he says, no one can forgive sins but God alone. So what does it mean when he says, when you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. I had to spend a lot of time researching this to have a clear understanding. And I found this beautiful explanation in the NIV study Bible. Let me put, present it to you on the, on the screen. God does not forgive people's sins because we do so. Nor does he withhold forgiveness because we do. Rather, those who proclaim the gospel are in effect forgiving and not forgiving sins depending on whether the hearers accept or reject Jesus Christ. So in essence, what it means, church, is this. Listen very carefully. If you tell people about this forgiveness, you are extending forgiveness to them. If they respond, they are indeed forgiven. However, if they do not, if you don't tell them, you are not extending forgiveness to them. Their sins will not be forgiven. So church, if you do not go forward, some will never hear that they can be set free, isn't it? Some will never know the joy of salvation. Some will never know that the, script, or the strength of the, of the Spirit in difficult times. So church, I want you to listen. If we don't tell the people we come in contact with the gospel, then we are not living out our mission and our calling. Imagine this for a moment, church. If William Booth or James Hudson Taylor or John Wesley and Charles Wesley had not responded to this call, you and I would not have heard the gospel. I don't know about all of you, but in my country, it was the Wesleyan brothers who brought the gospel. The Lord used them. They responded to their call. We are here because they didn't drop the ball. And what God provided for them, he has also provided for us. We have the same God, the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, and the same gospel message. But what are you doing about it? Every believer, every one of you who are seated here, called, claim to be a child of God. God has given his peace. He has given his proof. He has given you a purpose. He has given the power. And he has given his proclamation. So there are four action, action steps as I close this. Number one, we should first admit that our evangelistic values have slipped. That we have failed. We have to ask the Lord to give that burden in a fresh way for us. Number two, we must make sure that we have the right view of God. That we must make sure that we have a right view of the others. That we have to make sure that we have the right view of the gospel. Number three, we must then ask the Lord for empowerment. We need to be on our knees and we must pray, God, give me that one person that you want me to reach out in 2022. I like to have action plan. You know, things that can be measured are the ones that you can manage. What you can't measure, you cannot manage. So it must be measurable. 
So I'm going to challenge every one of you. As you look around, I know that we have at least close to about 100 people here. Maybe close to that. But let me ask you a question. Think of one person in your life. Here's the challenge for you, church. Bring that person to the church in 2022. One person. The one you take to the movies. The one you hang out with. The one who drops in at home frequently. The one with whom you watch matches. Certainly not the one who is going to a different church. Don't, we are not here to steal sheep. The one who does not know the Lord. So as a church, can I appeal to every one of us? Can we make a decision today that in 2022, I am going to reach out to that one person? Let me ask you, do you know at least one person in your close community that does not know the Lord? Yes or no? Put your hands up. Do you know or you don't know? Some of you don't know. That's good. Can we bring that person to the Lord? I'm not saying that you must make him a convert. Can we bring him to a point where he can hear the gospel? Shall we make that decision today? Can we rise as the worship team comes? I just want to say a quick word of prayer. Just close your eyes and bow our heads for a minute, please. Father, we thank you for the message that we heard this morning. And we all admit that we have failed miserably. Thank you for the exhortation. Thank you that you have given us the peace and you have given us the proof and you have given us the purpose. Not leaving us alone, you have given us the power and the proclamation. And I pray that as we have been challenged today that we will reach out to that one Zacchaeus in our lives, O God. And we'll not only go to his house and to his or her house and sup with that person, befriend that person, and we'll bring that person to the house of God. So help us, Master. That's the cry of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.